king. So warned them that it wouldn't go well for them. Nevertheless, they insisted upon their own way. Give us a king like the nations that are around us. So God selected the king that they asked for. Just the man they asked for. Imposing in his stature a man of social standing, a rich guy, tall, rich, and handsome. That's what they wanted. That's what God selected for them. So he was anointed privately, but then he was selected publicly by lot, by name. And you may remember the funny story where uh, even though he's been selected, he can't be found. He's hiding among the baggage. But he's crowned. Everybody sees he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Long live the king, and everybody goes home. And then Nahash comes along, the Ammonite king, and he threatens Jabesh Gilead. And, you know, as we'll see, though, Nahash was already on their minds before he threatened Jabesh Gilead. Uh, Nahash demanded the, the right eye of every man of Jabesh, and the spirit rushed upon Saul, and he orchestrated this great corporate response. He brought all of Israel together and delivered Jabesh. So Saul's the man right now. And they came back together to renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. That's where we left them. And that's where we'll pick up the story this morning. The people are at Gilgal. They are worshiping the Lord, and they are rejoicing over their king, and now Samuel speaks. We're continuing to make our way through the book of Samuel. We're in part one, book of 1 Samuel. We're in chapter 12, so if you have a copy of the scriptures, you might want to make your way over there. 1 Samuel chapter 12, we're picking up in verse 1. And Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walks before you. I'm old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I stolen? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said, you've not defrauded us. You've not oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, The Lord is witness against you and is anointed as witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, He is witness. 
So Samuel's offering a, a farewell address. Um, there's a, a changing of the guard taking place as we move from the period of the judges to the period of the monarchy. Now, he's about to drop some truth on them that is uncomfortable to hear. So before he does so, he wants them to acknowledge that there's no deficiency in his ministry among them. And he makes a strange nod to his kids in verse 2. I, I did what you asked for. I gave you a king. The king's here. I'm old. And look, my sons are with you. Now, we know that Samuel's sons did not walk in the ways of his father. They turned aside after unjust gain. They took bribes to blind the eyes of justice. So Samuel offers to, uh, to make whole anybody who has been defrauded by his ministry. Of course, he knows that he has not defrauded anyone. But that doesn't make the offer less significant. It makes it more significant. And everyone has to acknowledge that Samuel has done nothing wrong. Now, that's not to say that Samuel was a sinless man. But it is to say that he was blameless in his ministry, and those two are not the same thing. And they acknowledge it. Now, we assume, in fact, that Samuel did take at least half a shekel from Saul's servant. You know, you haven't taken anything from any man's hand doesn't mean that Samuel never got paid, so to speak. The point is that he never took. He might have received, but he never took. He was not a burden on the people, and that's the point. And they testify to it, verse 6. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is witness who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. So I'm going to plead with you before the Lord that you will remember what he's done for you. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, when your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent for them Moses and Aaron, who brought your fathers up out of Egypt and made them dwell in the place, in this place. So he provided you a leader and he delivered you. But they forgot the Lord their God. And he sold them into the hand of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hatzor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against him. And they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. Because we've forsaken the Lord and we've served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. When you saw the king of Nahash king of the Ammonites came against you, you said to me, no, but set a king over us. When the Lord your God was your king. So now Samuel, he echoes the people's answer 
reminding them of who it is that they have just testified before. The Lord is witness. He is witness, right? (laughs) That witness is the God who brought you out of Egypt. It was the God who appointed the necessary leaders to do so. And therefore, Samuel wants to remind them of all that God has done for them. They have, in fact, rejected God from being their king. And Samuel's going to show them their sin by setting that sin in its context. Who is it that you have rejected? I heard the cry of your fathers in Egypt. I raised up Aaron and Moses to deliver you from your bondage to Pharaoh, your slavery. I I plopped you into the the land where you're living now. I did that for you. But they forgot the Lord. So he disciplined them, selling them into the hands of the surrounding nations. and, And guess what? They cry out. They acknowledge their sin. They, they sought my deliverance. So, they got it. And he named a few of the judges that were sent, including himself. The Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and you lived in safety. Now look at verse 12. The occasioning incident as we were initially presented with it was uh, about Samuel's kids, right? Samuel was old and his kids weren't honest. But in verse 12, we see that wasn't the whole story. They were afraid of Nahash, presumably even before he threatened Jabesh Gilead. And notice the last words, you demanded a king when the Lord your God was your king. So Samuel's doing two things here. On the one hand, he's convicting them of their sin. He wants them to see just how bad it was for them to demand a king. And yet at the same time, he wants them to understand the heart of their God who is so quick to forgive, who is profligate with his grace, that no matter what lies behind you, if you will trust and obey today, trust and obey, there is no other way. Yes, it was bad. But what matters is what happens now. Verse 13, And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you asked, behold the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? 
I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now again, who chose Saul? God did, but God chose the king that they asked for. So you can say that God chose Saul, but you can also say that the people chose Saul. No, it all holds together in verse 13. So here's the guy. Now, I've, I've laid out all the negatives, trying to persuade you that this was a bad course of action, but you weren't persuaded. So now let me lay out some promises for you. Verse 14. If you'll fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice, not rebel at his commandment, it's going to go well for you. But if you will refuse to obey, if you will forget the Lord, then he's going to be against you. That is not works righteousness. Believers who are saved by grace through faith alone, believers obey the Lord. Not perfectly, of course. None of us have arrived. But the whole point of becoming a believer is this. You you are rejecting your old way of life, the ways of the world. You're, You're rejecting your old Lord's. Those things that you submitted to, whether you know, it be your belly or, or money or the fear of death, you no longer are driven for those, by those things. You're no longer living for those things. Now, that's not to say that you don't stumble. But you recognize your stumble as a stumbling. You you have turned away and are turning away from those things. Not in order to earn God's forgiveness or an eternal life, but, but out of gratitude for the forgiveness and the eternal life that he has given you. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Faith is filled out in faithfulness. You know, like the wind shows itself by the leaves that it moves when it blows. Well, faith shows itself in actions, acts of love and acts of obedience. And it's interesting, Samuel puts the promises up front here. He is about to have God testify powerfully against them to convict them of their sin. The very witness to whom they've appealed, the king whom they have just rejected, he is going to testify against them, and they will be convicted of their sin, but it's a good thing. Yes, they fail, but that's not the end of the story. So he calls for rain during the wheat harvest. Now, that doesn't impress us because we get rain, you know, all year round. Uh, but I was in um, Israel during the summer of 2001 doing an archaeological dig, and 
not a sprinkle all summer long. It just doesn't rain in that season. And so to call for rain and to get it, well, that requires divine power. And, and so this is a powerful testimony of how God saw their actions, their request of a, for a king, and, and he's not impressed by it. And, the, uh, and the rain, so the rain has its intended effect. Verse 19, the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. This is, this is awesome. Don't be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet, do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn aside after empty things, things that can't profit or deliver. Those are empty things. For the Lord, and this goes back to the do not fear. This, the four here is from the do not fear. Do not fear, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Not for your righteousness' sake. For his great name's sake, he won't reject you. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord. Serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider the great things that he's done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. I'm not sure why they say, pray to us to the Lord, your God, instead of our God. Is there significance in that? I'm not sure. But I do see that their acknowledgement of guilt runs beyond their request for a king. It, it's, it's been the pattern for God's people. We have constantly rebelled. Even though God has been unfailingly faithful to us, and if that weren't bad enough, we had to go and ask for a king too. So they acknowledge, acknowledge that their actions are evil and and Samuel does not deny that. He doesn't say, oh, there, there, it's okay. It's, it's bad, so bad. No. You have done all this evil. But that's not the first thing he says. Look at verse 20. Do not be afraid. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. Yes, you are guilty. But that's not the end of the story. Don't be afraid. Just be faithful to the Lord. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in Him. The Lord will overlook our sin if we will turn to Him with our whole hearts. If you will serve the Lord with all your heart, you need not fear. Don't turn aside after vain things that can't profit or deliver. What do you suppose those vain things are that he's warning against turning to? 
No doubt for our forefathers, they were being encouraged not to bow down to Baal or, you know, Ashtoreth. But the little statues weren't the only vain things that cannot profit or deliver. What about money? What do you mean? That's the very definition of profit, isn't it? (laughs) Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Death so levels the playing field as to remove all profit from anything under the sun. The rich man and the poor man are buried at the same death and they have exactly the same amount of money in the end. Doesn't have to be money. Again, read the book of Ecclesiastes. He tries all kinds of stuff. But nothing profits him because they are all vain things. Vanity of vanities. Now notice how Samuel grounds the good news that they should not fear. Even though they've done such terrible things, why shouldn't they fear? Because God is faithful. They aren't, but he is. He's faithful not only to us, but to himself. He will not forsake his people. He decided that it would please him to make you his people. You're special in that way. Do you appreciate that? That was his doing, and it's wonderful in our eyes. He's not delivering you because you are faithful. I want you to be, he wants you to be, but that's not why he's delivering you. He's delivering you because he's faithful. He's glorifying his name by showing you mercy. That's what the gospel of John drives home for us. You know, God gave us to Jesus that he might redeem us. And he's not going to lose a single one of us. My sheep hear my voice, he says, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So once again, though, while we're given the why, don't fear because, you know, God is glorifying himself by calling a people out of the darkness, turning them from sin to live in the way that uh, we were designed to live, to reflect the goodness and the glory and, and, and holiness of God created as we are in his image. Nevertheless, those who've been called out of the darkness which we have, we live in the light. So don't be afraid. Just walk in the light. Trust and obey. Now, they asked Samuel to pray for them, and he regards that request as utterly superfluous. He would regard it as a great sin if he were not to lift them up before the Lord. Of course I'll pray for you. More than that, I'll continue to teach you. So you have a choice. This this choice is always before you. It is an everyday choice. When when Joshua said, choose you this day, whether you will follow follow the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. That choice is before everyone all day, every day. 
You can walk with God in view of all that he's done for you, looking and focusing on who he is and what he has done for you, or you can continue to do wickedly. If you walk with the Lord, you have nothing to fear. But that fearlessness is only for those who are walking with the Lord. If you cannot distinguish your way of life from that of your unbelieving neighbor, I would suggest that your salt that's lost its savor, useless and ready to be discarded. Again, that is not works righteousness. Those who are repentant and trust in the finished work of Christ have been given the Spirit. And those who have the Spirit bear spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how faith is proven. And that's why the warning is so real even for us. You have turned away from your old way of life. Don't go back to it. Don't return to Egypt. So what's the takeaway from, for us from this passage? Well, I, get, I think it really is the simple but glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. As you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? You received him through acknowledging your sin, recognizing how far short of the glory of God you fall, that you don't measure up. You've done all this evil, but don't be afraid. That's the glory of the gospel, isn't it? That the blood of the cross cleanses us, that no matter what lies in our past, no matter what lies in our past, there is a future for us. No matter how dirty I've made myself, he made me clean. And so he urges me to enjoy my cleanness by listening to what God says rather than what my appetites tell me or what the world says. And don't say to me, yeah, but I keep doing it. I know, brothers and sisters, I know besetting sins. Failure does not damn you. God gives you the will and the power to carry out that desire, that desire to obey Him. But sometimes that ability follows the desire by days, weeks, months, years. Anyone who has struggled with addiction or a long-standing besetting sin knows that. You might fall, okay. But you want to be righteous. You want to be righteous. You are not satisfied with the sin that continues to plague your walk. What I want you to appreciate, brothers and sisters, is that desire... That is a holy desire. Where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit. 
yes, you're going to stumble. Okay. Notice that the people of God here, they fail over and over again in exactly the same way. And what does God do for them? Delivers them. Instructs them. He's long-suffering. He's patient with us in our struggles. God is saving you for His namesake. He knows your frame. He knows your weakness. He knows your failure. And He's going to try you at just those points, right where you're weak, and that's what makes you feel like such a failure, doesn't it? That He tests you right where you're weak. But He's doing that to make you strong. So the takeaway from the passage, brothers and sisters, is this. Don't give up. Strive for the holiness without which none of us will see the Lord. What matters, and we're going to see this as we move forward through the life of David, what matters is your heart. We're sinners by nature, and so we sin. But we're saints by the Spirit. No longer slaves to that sin. And if you truly desire to change, you truly want to be holy, then keep praying, keep trying, don't give up, because one thing comes shining through in our passage. God is long-suffering. He overlooks our offenses, and He wants your heart. And He wants it all. Will you give it to Him? Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, how can we, how can we thank you for your mercy? That though we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, he paid our sin debt. How much more now that we are reconciled will he not give us all things? Father, forgive us for our apathy. Forgive us for wallowing in our weakness. Remind us of how gracious you've been, the perfect righteousness that we're wrapped in as we're clothed in Jesus. And Father, inspire us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. Help us to strive earnestly to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to you. And Father, take those efforts, those, those desires, weak though they be, and by your Spirit, finish the work that you've begun in us. Do indeed transform our hearts, Lord, that we might walk with you truly from our heart. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.